Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, Rosebank Every Nation. You know, it's the first time I'm seeing many of you, so I can say, and I will be the last one to say, Happy New Year. After me, no one can say it. I'm the last one. Even when they send you email tomorrow, say, it's done. My pastor covered it tomorrow. Don't say it ever again. So Happy New Year. I hope you're all well. Super excited to be here. I hope you're excited about the sermon series that we're in around miracles and watching how God is doing incredible things in His Word, but in our lives too. Uh, to our online community, hola, it's a... But say, hope you're comfortable there on your couch. Um, so while it's at home, it's really nice to sit there, have your cappuccino next to you, feet up and worshiping. There's nothing like being in the audience and engaging. The worship was off the charts this morning. And it wasn't, I hope the worship team's not hearing me. It wasn't so much here. It was happening over here. It was absolutely amazing. Now, this miracle season or sermon series is, is riveted with hope expectation and joy, but also with sadness and confusion, right? Because some people are hoping for miracles and never get them. Other people just pitch up and they get a miracle. You're like, Lord, what's happening? Like, why that person, they've just been here for 10 seconds, they get the miracle. I've been going through this for 38 years and you still haven't heard me. And hopefully through the couple of seasons series we're going through, in fact, throughout the year, I pray that God will speak to you, that He'll bring resolution uh, for you. So week one, we spoke about Jesus turning water into wine. Last week, Roger spoke about um, the Roman soldier asking for his son to be healed. And today we're talking about the paralyzed man uh, at the pool of Bethesda. Now, if you haven't, if you don't believe in miracles, you are about to see one happen right in front of your eyes. And this miracle is, I'm going to read in public. Uh, If you were with me at school, you know that this was a daunting task. It was like Peter walking on the water. So I'm going to walk on the water. I might make a slip every now and then, but I know that you're behind me and you got my back. And so let's prove this world wrong as we do this. So after this, the Jewish festival took place and Jesus went into Jerusalem by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, where there was a pool called Bethesda in Amarabic, which was which had five colonnades. Within this lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there, had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and realized that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man asked, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes ahead of me. Get up, Jesus said. I told him, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. And, the, and, and so the Jews said to the man that was healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who told me to, he replied, the man who made me well told me to pick up my mat and walk. Who is this man that told you to pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man didn't know who healed him. Uh, but the man who was healed did not know because Jesus slipped away into the crowd where they were. After this, 
Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, I see that you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported this to the Jews, that Jesus was the one that made him well. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can walk in miracles every single day, big ones and small ones. And we thank you for the miracle of your incredible word. Won't you speak to us this morning? Won't you challenge us this morning? Won't you challenge us? Won't you encourage us and challenge us this morning? And so, Father, we thank you that we can be in your word. Amen. Amen. Um, so, some footnotes. I don't know if you noticed as we were going through John 5 that verse 4 doesn't exist in modern translations. I don't know if the astute student in the room picked that up and was going to come to pastor and say, hey, how come you're not reading the whole Bible? Where was verse 4? Now, verse 4, uh, when I've done some studying, was initially a footnote in manuscripts and slowly made its way into the Scriptures. Now, when we've left verse 4 out, it doesn't fundamentally change my walk with Jesus. It's not going to fundamentally change the script or you, right? All it is, it's the angel would come down and stir the water. That's what verse 4 says, and, and um, it's been left out in some manuscripts. So today, we're going to talk about messy moments. We're going to talk about miracle moments, and we're going to talk about ma ma miracle management, like what happens after the miracle. So messy moments is John 5, 1 to 5, if you're following, uh, unpacking the Scripture. And we need to talk about what was the pool of Bethesda. Now, what it wasn't, it was not a luxury spa that you went to to get your nails done, mud bath, you know, put your foot in some healing, bubbling water. I see Nicole is sitting at the back there. She took Stuart yesterday, it was his birthday today, gave him a pre-birthday, took him to a spa. Nicole, it's not that kind of spa, right? Neither is a, and if you just go with the flow, right, it says, this pool of Bethesda was at the sheep gate. Now, this sheep gate is the gate where people brought their animals just before they got sacrificed. This is not the place you want to go before you get healed, right? It's not the kind of place that you go in, like while you're hearing animals being killed and slaughtered, and you're going to now go for healing. It like, sounds like one of those dodgy side uh, lanes that come and get you healing here in the back door kind of vibe, right? So it's not like a, a place that we want to necessarily go to. Interesting thing about the Pool of Bethesda is that for a long time, they couldn't actually find it in Jerusalem, which put the whole book of John into question. So many scholars are wondering whether the book of John should actually be part of the Gospels. Why? Because John speaks about miracles that the other disciples or, or Gospels don't speak about. Plus there's this pool of Bethesda. For a long time they couldn't find it. And it's only in the 19th century that they find the pool of Bethesda and they started to unpack what it is. And so what's interesting is that all the pictures I saw growing up about the pool of Bethesda, it's like a small, tiny little spit. You know when you sell your house, I've got a splash pool. That's like in my mind, the pool of Bethesda, small little splash pool, people. It's the size of two Olympic swimming pools. It's huge. It's massive. And then it says that there were multitudes of people that were coming there. When Jesus in the Bible, whenever we hear multitudes, Normally like 5,000, 4,000. So there's hundreds, if not thousands of people sitting around the pool of Bethesda under these uh, canopies waiting for a miracle to happen. And so there were large numbers of people that were coming there. And they were clearly focused on one thing and one thing only, getting a miracle, right? And um, 
that was whether they were there to get kind of miracles. Who knows what kind of miracles they want? I think in today's world, we're living in a world where there are large numbers of people longing for miracles. There are people looking for physical healing. There are people looking for emotional healing. There are people looking for relational healing. And there are people that are looking for financial healing. And so globally speaking, there are millions of people looking for these things. And so I want to say that we have a problem. And the problem is, is that we are not living as long as what we used to. Evidence is showing that the trend of us as human beings living longer is starting to reverse. If we look at what happened during that COVID pandemic, over 6.5 million people died due to this disease. We are seeing an increase of deaths between people between the ages of 25 and 64. Things like suicide, drug overdose, life diseases like heart disease, stroke, diabetes, obesity, all things that we've put on ourselves. In the UK, the leading cause of death is related to overuse of drugs, financial pressure. Can you believe it? People are dying from financial pressure. Depression and isolation. So in the UK, there are people literally dying of loneliness. In fact, in the US, they have a minister of loneliness to address the loneliness in society. And so we are all Right now, in this auditorium and around the world, we are all looking for pools of Bethesda. We are looking for places to get this healing. And it's rising amongst us. Just think about this. The rise of twasserin. It's a slang word, apparently. Twasserin. The rise of people seeking out to becoming Sangomas is rising, particularly amongst young people. I'm going around and I'm hearing young people going through this process. And when I engage with them, what they are looking for is not necessary to heal the world, but to heal themselves. Some kind of healing, some, something that has happened inside of them. And the only way they can make sense of it is to go through this process. And so at the moment in South Africa, we have 250,000 Sangormas. The cost to become a Sangorma is anything between 10,000 and a million rand. People are willing to pay to get healed. We are struggling with this thing. And so we have lots of pools of Bethesda. We have, and I'm not going to explain all of them because some of them are dodgy, right? So we have uh, this healing thing called semen therapy. I, Lord help me, I don't want to know what happens there. Crystal therapy. I have people that come into and I engage with it. They say they, they talk to crystals and crystals tell them how they're going to get well. And they pick up this crystal and that crystal and the energy from that crystal then begins pools of Bethesda. Beasting therapy, not for me. Urine therapy, definitely not for me. Psychedelic enhancement therapy, I could maybe consider that. Adult wrapping, uh, floating pods, and there's this thing called booze pot and animal yoga. All bull pools of Bethesda. So just to help you, floating pods is you go into a dark room, you sit on a floaty, and you, loo- and you just float. And that will help you heal whatever you're dealing with. Adult wrapping, uh, all my parents sitting over there, you know when your child is fussing, you take that blanket and you wrap that child. You wrap all the problems in that child, they can't move. And somehow it helps the child. So some, pa- some adults now go to professionals to be wrapped. Lindy, there's a job opportunity for us. Eh? You pay to be wrapped, right? And the psychedelic uh, treatment is that you take mushrooms and you take these psychedelics, but not too much. 
just enough to get a tingly feeling so that you can start getting where you need to be going. Hey, down with these stuff. The, the global market for wellness in 2022 was es estimated to be $5.5 trillion. It's estimated in 2025 that the wellness market will be over $7 trillion. People are hungry for miracles. And we will go to any pool of Bethesda that's willing to give it. Interestingly enough, there is no evidence that points that anybody was actually healed at the pool of Bethesda. We don't have evidence that it actually happened. And so the people at Bethesda, the hundreds or the thousands that were there that day, they were so focused on the stirring of the water, they forgot to realize the miracle worker was in their midst. Right? And so think about this. You came here today enhanced for your miracle, wanting your miracle. You were focused on the miracle. You missed the fact that Jesus was with us in worship. You're missing the fact that Jesus is right here in our midst. The miracle workers, yeah. Think about the Roman soldier last week. He went out to seek Jesus to heal his son. Yet these people, Jesus arrives with them in their desperate need. They have no ideas there. They have no idea that they could reach out their hand and touch the hem of his garment and they would be healed. They could ask and he would heal them. They had no idea that the miracle worker was in their midst. The pool of Bethesda was here. The miracle worker was here. Their focus was on the miracles. This year, as we pursue the supernatural, let us not take our eyes off. The Jesus that is the miracle worker. Even the man that gets healed when given an opportunity to jump into the arms of Jesus or jump into the pool of Bethesda, he chooses the pool of Bethesda. Jesus says, do you want to get well? The man says, there's nobody to put me in the pool. He didn't realize he could jump into the arms of the deliverer. He could jump into the arms of the healer. He could do all of that stuff. And so some of you this morning, you've come here, you've worshiped God, and Jesus is saying to you, do you want to get well? And what are you going to do? Tomorrow, you're going to consult those people again. Tomorrow, you're going to rely on your 15-point plan that you've created for 2023. And you're going to turn to the pool of Bethesda, not to the miracle worker in our midst. And so, before we move on today, let us take a moment and ask God for forgiveness. Where we have taken our attention off the miracle worker and put our trust in a whole bunch of other things. Whether that's a relationship, I don't know, Rex, if people, you know, hey, my relationship's not working. Hey, we can go consult somebody. We can, you know, put something under a mat. We can, you know, do something. And then, you know, when they see me next, I can love potions, right? They see me, they'll fall in love with me. We've, I know there are people that have done that. Uh, but there's also people that uh, have got a particular number in their head, in their bank balance, you know. It's easy to trust God the moment my bank balance is, yeah, you know, one cent under that number. You're it's come to an end. Tithe must come to an end. Like everything must come because my trust is in that number. And anything below that number, right? We've put our trust in the wrong things. Lord, won't you forgive us this morning? When we've consulted people or things of this world, the pools of Bethesda of this world, instead of putting our trust fundamentally and foremost in you, won't you forgive us? This morning, as we deal with the messy moments in our lives and bring correction in terms of how we seek miracles in our lives. Amen. So, messy moments, 
miracle moments. John 5, 6, and 8. Now, miracle moments are not about naming, framing, and claiming. Miracle moments are not about showing how much faith you have and how much little faith you have, John. Miracle moments are not about reigning prosperity in our lives. It's not about meeting the list of requirements that we have. Miracle moments are not about following 10 steps to get your miracle. Right? And this is the problem with us as good believers. We see that Jesus did one thing, then we make a whole doctrine. We actually make a whole church out of that one thing that Jesus has done. Right? In fact, there's one website that gives me 10 steps to follow to, be, to get my miracle this year. If I look at anything from Jesus turning the water into wine and healing the guy, the Roman son, just those two miracles and today's miracle, none of them are the same. Right? None is di- the only constant is Jesus. The rest is different, right? And so for us, we need to understand that. What is the purpose of miracles? It's to let him be known. It's to make Jesus be known. That is the fundamental reason for miracles. It's a signpost to an unbelieving world that we serve a miracle-working God. It's a signpost, right? That when me, I have a matric I can't read properly. That when I show up at one of the top business schools in the country to lecture, I'm not supposed to be there. It is a miracle. It is a signpost that God is greater than any struggle that we have. Amen. Miracles force us to reflect on the goodness of God, His holiness, and His grace. Miracles are to reflect the deep need that you and I have in the Savior that we serve. That is the fundamental reason for miracles. So when Jesus saw him lying there, he realized he had been there a long time, 38 years. Hey, Si, you got it, a long time. When I look around the audience, like the average age is 38, eh? Am I right? Do you feel 38? I'm giving you a compliment. Say amen. Yes, I believe Oh, the 38 is the new 21, right? <laughs> 38 is a long time to be waiting for a miracle. As Rex mentioned, some of you have been waiting a long time for God to answer your prayers. Now remember this. Jesus walks to the pool of Bethesda. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people there. That meant that Jesus had to step over a lame man and not heal them. That meant that Jesus passed somebody that was blind and did not heal. Did he go, shh, don't tell him. So Jesus walking around, he's not healing thousands of people. What is he looking for? Why does Jesus go for the one? Jesus is looking for the one. Are you the one that Jesus is looking for this morning? Right? Are you the one that Jesus has his focus on? You thought you could sneak into church after worship, settle down. Nobody would know. Jesus knows he's got your number this morning. Maybe you decided, I'll come early, sit early. You know, people don't pay attention to people that are early. You've been sitting here early, praying. God has your number. Maybe Jesus chose the one that had been there for 38 years to say, he's been here long enough. He's given up on hope that anything else would be different in his life. Maybe Jesus chose that one because he would be the best person to reflect God's goodness and glory. That he would be the one to reflect everything of who God is. Maybe that's you this morning. God has seen you in the midst of the crowd. He will step over people to come to you. Miracle moments are an opportunity for us to reflect 
on our current circumstances. It's about asking us the questions. So five years ago, when Tamsin had a a serious uh, operation, it was an opportunity for her and I to reflect on our relationship, to ask ourselves the question, what's really important? When God steps in in a miraculous way in somebody's life, it's about us to ask the question, Lord, what is it about this? You know those stories, the plane crashes, one person survives. What is the plan that God has for that person? There's a mystery that is involved with miracles. And the mystery is, what is God doing? And our responsibility is to find out what is God up to during those moments. Hence the question in verse 6, do you want to get well? Now, I don't know how many of you have read a message, an email, and like you I don't understand what's happening here. Have you ever done like misunderstood what's been said there? I had somebody once say to me, their line manager sent them an email and the heading said, oh my word. The person didn't open the email for three days <laughs> because they were petrified that it was a, like a, you did something wrong again. Uh, and then when they opened it, they realized it was, oh my word, you've done an amazing job to keep on doing it, right? Have you ever done that? Like sent a message and then you've read it and you've thought the worst? So yeah, maybe you all understand this. Yeah, yeah, are the top three misunderstood text messages or WhatsApp messages that have been misunderstood in relationships. And the first one is okay, right? <laughs> the intended message is yes. Thing, uh, the last thing you said is completely fine with me. Absolutely misinterpreted. That's just fine. Let us do whatever. Because whatever, what? Because that's all we ever do. I mean, why would I want anything, anyone else to do anything else than enjoy myself for once? What would you want me to be selfish and bring some happiness? So, would you want me? Would you want that? Hey, why not on the way home? Let me pick up a leash and some bowls of food and water, and that maybe I can have a toy to chew on while we go through this, right? So, misunderstood message, right? Okay, person misunderstands it. Next message. Um, hold on, right? Person says, hey, uh, could you please hold on for a sec? I'm really in the middle of something right now. Allow me give some time to get back to you. Uh, I just need to get back to you. That's the intended message. Eh? What does the person hear? Will you give me a second? I have a life of my own, you know? I have things to, that I would like to do. Can you just... Uh, can you just answer your text? I can't answer your text all the time. Would you like me to uh, connect my phone to a collar that shocks me every time you text me uh, so that I will get back to you right away? What, would you like that? Right? Simple message. Last one. Um, I don't care. Yo, I can realize this. I say this to Tams and I don't even text. I say, I don't care. Like we can go anywhere like, and it can be misinterpreted. So what, when I say I don't care, it's like I really don't have a strong feeling against or for this. Like just go with the flow. It's okay with me. I really don't care. The misinterpretation is whatever I have, um, I just don't care anymore. I hate you and this relationship. <laughs> This is boring, and every time I see you, I'm sad. Uh, The best time of my day is between the time uh, you text me and when I actually see you, because it's it's only then when I don't have to talk to you, right? And so it can see that it can be misunderstood, right? I don't care. I don't, uh, uh, sorry, you're touching me on my studio, right? So this is a text that often gets misinterpreted by pastors, And they preach many different messages when they see this. It depends on where the emphasis is. 
do you want to get well? And Jim, we don't know what the person's name is, responds, I got nobody to put me in the water. And then pastors come up with theses around what this really meant. Excuses, excuses. Work around them. Make a plan, man. You dummy. Don't you have a family? Don't you have friends? Don't you have a social network that can rely on to help you get into the pool? Isn't this man, like, doesn't he realize that the angel stirs the water every day so he doesn't have to leave? He can just lay next to the pool and be the first one to roll in. Like, and plus, you've been waiting for 38 years. Like, what's wrong with you? The last one is like, the pastors have preached this to say, the person didn't seize the moment of the opportunity of the lifetime. They didn't seize it. They didn't do carpe diem. This is not my Jesus. My Jesus doesn't respond to blind, deaf, disabled, needy people this way. He doesn't ask the question to corner people. He doesn't ask the question to put people in a corner and make them feel bad about themselves. Whenever Jesus asked this man the question, it was filled with hope and opportunity. And so when Jesus asks you the question this morning, do you want to get well? It's not about putting you in dismay or, or putting you in the corner. He's asking you the question, do you want to get well? It's about hope and opportunity. He's giving you the opportunity to engage with him. Do you want to get set free from this addiction this morning? Do you want to be delivered this morning? Do you want God to be your provider? Do you want this relationship to work? Do you really want this job? He's not questioning your motivation. He's giving you an opportunity of hope and, and something to stand on. He, and so what is God asking you to do this morning? Do you want to get well? There's a story of a lion stalking a herd of goats. Female, she jumps out, she attacks the goats, the goats jump away, but she strains herself in the process of hunting for these goats. And as she strains herself, she gives birth to a baby cub. She passes away and dies in the process. So this baby cub lion grows up amongst goats, eating grass, jumping on things, head butt butting its head against things. Like it's living its best life as a goat, as a lion, right? <laughs> doing its thing. One day, another lion attacks these goats. Maybe these goats need to find a new address. I don't know, maybe. Anyway, another lion attacks these goats. They jump onto the mountain. They move away. But this little baby lion, baby goat lion, doesn't make it away. Gets confronted with this adult lion. Adult lion says, like, what are you doing here? Baby lion says, I'm a goat. What do you mean? What am I doing here? I'm a goat. The adult lion says, you're not a goat. You're a lion. Well, I don't feel like a lion. So the adult lion takes the baby goat to the water and they look in the water. Adult lion says, look, you look like me. You have my resemblance. Baby goat looks at this and says, sure, I look like you, but I don't feel like you. Like I don't feel like a lion. Adult lion says, the only way you are going to feel like a lion is if you start eating meat. Baby goat says, I'd love to, but I'm a vegetarian. Don't eat meat. <laughs> Plus, I don't like the texture of that meat as it goes down uh, my throat. I wish Tia Mozia could pick on some vegetarians, right? For this baby lion to experience what it was supposed to be, it needed to eat the, the, the meat. For you and I to understand who we really are in God, we need to eat the meat. The Word of God. Because as this baby lion thingy ate the meat and the food landed in his tummy, it let out a little roll. Right? And that's how it started, right? 
But it was uncomfortable. That word, that meat was uncomfortable, wasn't used to it. And so for some of us, we're not used to God's word as it goes down. But when it goes inside, it absolutely transforms who we are. So when Jesus, hey? Maybe it was a tiger. Who knows? Running around Jane Joburg, we never know, right? <laughs> hey, when uh, you never, you can never underestimate what Joburg can do for the world. Tigers running around, right? So Jesus sees the man and says to him, "Get up, pick up your mat and walk." Yeah. Right? Do you want to get well? Get up and walk. What is your and my response when Jesus says to us? Get up and walk. Step into your provision. Restore your marriage. What is our response? What is our response? It's this. It's the Nike tick. What is the Nike tick? Just do it. it. So when Jesus says to the blind man, the deaf man, not the deaf man, the crippled man, get up, take him out, what does he do? He just does it, right? So when Jesus says forgive, what do you do? Just do it. There are 50. I'm not going all through 50, but I want you to preach with me a little bit this morning, right? So when Jesus says, repent, just do it. When he says, turn the other cheek, just do it. When he says, flee ungodly lust, just do it. When he says, get baptized, just do it. When he says, spend time in the word, just do it. When he says, keep your word, just do it. When God says, seek his kingdom first, what should we do? Just do it. Should we honor our parents? Just do it. Don't judge. Just do it. Be a servant. Just do it. Um, Make disciples. That's so hard. Just do it. Honor God. Just do it. Rex, join a connect group. Just do it. Right? That is our response when God speaks to us is get up and do it. Some of us have got the miracle. Jesus says, do you want to get well? Get up and take your mat. We haven't picked up our mat. We are, way, we are made healed. We just need to do what God is asking us to do, is to step out into faith. So this guy comes to a pastor after the service. says to him, Pastor, whenever you preach, you shire me, Pagati. You hit me here inside. Like you make things move in my life. You convict me about my sin. You, you are so challenged. I'm so challenged. The pastor says, what do you do with that? He says, well, I go home after church and I lay in the pool on my lalo. And what do you do? I ask my wife to bring me a, um, a drink, like a, a, a lemonade. And then what do you do? I wait for the feeling to leave. <laughs> we come to church. We get challenged. We have incredible worship. And we go home and we do whatever we need to do to make that feeling go away. So I want to do something, an activation. Eh? This is the word we use, activation. So online people, get ready with your fingers. Uh, for audience over here, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, what is the thing that God is challenging you to just do this year? Whether it's join a connect group, whatever it is, take 30 seconds, tell the person, what is it that you need to do this year? Online, in the chat box, tell us, what is it that you need to do this year? All right, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. 
We've got a sermon to finish. Time is ticking and they haven't allocated me time for this activation. Um, your people have got lists. Rex. Okay, thank you. I saw one person going like this. They've got a number of things that God wants them just to do. It depends what school you went to is which way you go, right? Now what I'm going to ask, you know this person you spoke to, say, you all, I'm going to just do this. I'm just going to do that. I'm just... Uh, in three months, won't you go and ask them, have you just been doing this, right? Hold them accountable to that. So, uh, let me bring the attention back here. Um, for us to experience the miracle requires us to step in obedience to manifest that miracle for some of us, right? So we need to step in. Like if I can't read, I need to put myself in a discomfort place and read in front of 600 people. The miracle will follow. Man, I will step out. I will start walking on water. God will do amazing things. So then there's the miracle management. So often when we come to church, we talk about miracles and we, we talk about the people crossing the Red Sea and we talk about the wall of Jericho falling down and we talk about Jonah being the whale for three months, the fish for three, three months, three days, um, Daniel in the lion's den, the crippled man healed, and then we move on, right? But for a moment, I know I would... Like, I need some debriefing if I walk through the Red Sea. Like, waves up there. I, need, I would need some debriefing if I was just singing a song and the walls of this church started coming down. I would, like, I would need some kind of, like, when even small miracles that happen to me, like, Lord, did that really happen? Like, I don't understand, right? And so how do we manage these miracles? What happens after the miracle? So imagine for a moment your neighbor, as long as you've known this neighbor, They've been paralyzed. Can't walk. One morning, Saturday morning, not Sunday, because Sunday morning you're getting ready to come to church. You're up already. So Saturday morning, six o'clock, you're sleeping in. You hear the lawnmower going. And you open the window. And there's Fernando, your crippled, disabled friend, pushing the lawnmower. What is your response? Is your response, hey, Fernando. It's six o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? Because that's one response, right? Or is your response, Fernando, this is amazing. You yield. Tell me what happened. Right? What would be your response? We would all like to think it would be the second. But, right? Oh, and I've gone the wrong way. But in the John 5, 12, we see that the, the Jewish leadership had a very different response to the miracle. They said, who told you to pick up your mat and walk? <laughs> Ask the man, who is, and the man's like, who, who, I don't know, like, like that's not his focus, right? And so, and I'm, I'm jumping my slides, I'm going all over the place. So the Jewish leaders were not interested in the crippled man, how he got well. They were interested in who made you well, like who told you to break the rules on a Sabbath, Right? And so often when we have a miracle, people say, who prayed for you? <laughs> Is it legit? Were you taking medicine when this thing happened? Like, what are the rules behind all of this? In fact, when we think about these Jewish leaders, their obsession with breaking rules is not only for the Old Testament. In 1992, in an Orthodox Jewish community in New York, there was a fire on the Sabbath, raging fire. So they called all the Pharisees, and no, not Pharisees, all the Jewish leadership together and asked the question, are we breaking the Sabbath if we make a phone call to come and have the fire put out? 
They then stood around and deliberated Scripture for 30 minutes while the fire is raging. 30 minutes later, they came to a decision that they should call the fire department. By that time, two buildings had burned already, right? And we can be so obsessed by the letter of the law, we miss the opportunity to engage in the miracle that we're engaging with, right? Plus, it must have been quite strange for the crippled man to say, like, who asked me to be? Well, so think as a, as, a, as a disabled man that needs to leave his house in the morning, get all the way to the pool of Bethesda, put his mat out, and then walk or crawl or hustle to get back home. By Jesus healing him, he limited his work on the Sabbath. He just had to pick his mat and walk, right? And so maybe the crippled man was like, what do you mean? Jesus helped me on the Sabbath. That's easy. I'm not doing as much work as I was doing before then. So the leaders, uh, the, Jew, the religious leaders saw Jesus as the man who broke the Sabbath. The man saw Jesus as the man that healed him, right? And so unlike when Jesus turned the water to wine and when Jesus healed the Roman soldier's son, those two people knew Jesus. I mean, Simon made a point. Jesus, Mary, they knew each other. And the, and the Roman soldiers seek Jesus out. This man had no idea who Jesus was. Jesus healed him and then slept out the back door. This guy had no idea who Jesus was. And so when they asked him who healed him, he's like, hung us. I, I don't know, right? And so, but as soon as he found out, he let people know, right? As soon as he found out who it was, he said, Jesus healed me, right? Hey, your business is doing really, really well. What happened? Well, we're following three strategy. You know, I'm talking to a business coach. We've done this. We've done that. Really? Um, you've been married for 18 years. What's the success of your marriage? Oh, you know, date night is really important for us. <laughs> I see you are well. Yes, I've been working out on my faith. No, Jesus is the center of our miracles. Jesus is the center of my stuff. Right? And so, yes, I can rely on my business strategy, but it's fundamentally about Jesus before all those kind of bull pools of Bethesda that we find ourselves in. And so when we find out that Jesus is doing these things, we need to do what Psalm 79 says. When your people, the sheep of your pastures, will praise you forever, from generation to generation, they will proclaim your praise. Right? We need to tell people of the goodness of God in our lives. I encourage you, if you've got no reading, which you do, you should have, but if you read Psalm 79 this week, it's an incredible story about telling about the goodness of God to the next generation, right? And so it's about as soon as we find out who's healed us, tell people who it is. After the man was healed, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, I see you are well. Uh, don't sin anymore, or something worse will happen to you. I see that you've been made well, is pointing back to the fact that not everybody at the pool of Bethesda was healed long term. So Jesus saying, I'm seeing you are well, is evident that when Jesus touches us, it's a long term healing. It's not a temporary healing, it's this ongoing healing, right? Um, and so then Jesus says to the man, sin no more or something worse will happen to you. Some pastors that have unpacked this have said that this man sinned sexually, sinned lying, beating, I don't know that. Other people are saying that this was an unwillingness to believe God for miracles or, or believe in the works of Jesus. This, and it's about saying, so what could be worse? I've been paralyzed for 30 years if I sinned again. It's going back to the pool of Bethesda 
after you've been healed. After you've been healed over here, is to go back to your life tomorrow like you've never been healed. Can you imagine that lame man, Monday morning or Sunday morning, whatever morning it is, wakes up and goes back and, and lays at the pool of Bethesda, even though he's well, right? And so looking back at the old, good old days when God was doing things, that is what they're talking about. It's about living in the miracle, showing up in the miracle. You know who the unhappiest people are in the world? backslidden Christians. They're the unhappiest people I've ever engaged with. They know the truth and they're trying to tell me that it's better where they are. They're sinning. They know the depths of their sin. They can't bring... Unsaved people, they sin and they're happy. You know? They do bad things and they're okay with it. Like there's no, there's no issues with it. There's no... Uh, uh, this is me. That's okay. Backslidden Christians, ah... Big, big stories, long letters, Facebook updates, like why Jesus hasn't come through for them. And so what could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years is not recognizing the mercy and the grace that God has given to us. He's not changing the way we live, right? And so once we've experienced the miracle, we need to change the way we show up. There's a story of Alexander the Great's army. A particular soldier would fall asleep every night on duty. And they tried everything, you know? So eventually they have to present the soldier before Alexander the Great. And they present him and say, the soldier's sleeping every night. Alexander the Great says, young man, what is your name? Young man says, my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great says, change your name or change your behavior. You can't have both, right? <laughs> And so, as Christians, we either need to change the t-shirt that we're wearing or change our behavior, because we are not doing our God a justice when we're showing up in ways that are not matching that kind of behavior. So I wore this on purpose, so when I walk out of here, people need to see me as being nice. On the way to church this morning, somebody speeded past me, and I started getting road rage, and my daughter said, you know, they could be coming to church today, and so I realized... <laughs> I realize I need to change my behavior or change my church. Like I need to represent people well, yeah. Lazarus being in the grave for three days. When he comes back and Jesus calls him forward, he cannot be the same tomorrow. He's seen things. He's done things for three days. He cannot be the same. 38 years at the pool of Bethesda, you can't, he has to change his routine the next morning. When Tamsin came out of that operating theater and she's recovered, we had to change the way we related with one another. We had to change who we were and how we did things. Think about the people of Israel. When they came out of the desert, their mentality was one of being slaves. And God then imparts with them around how they should live their lives and writes a whole bunch of things down around how they should live, what they should do. It's like, it's like a DIY, do-it-yourself kind of guide around how to live as free people. They had to change, learn a new way of living. What does that look like when God begins to answer prayers? It means we change. Yeah. Think about this. Uh, you're praying, Lord, give us a baby. Is Deluma here? Deluma, where are you here? I don't see Deluma this morning. So they were praying for a baby. Many years, lots of miracles, lots of things. I wish he was here because I would say, Deluma, now that you have the miracle, you're living the miraculous every day. And the miraculous is waking up at midnight. The miraculous is changing nappies. The miraculous is dirty laundry. The miraculous is a whole bunch of joys that come with that prayer that has been answered. So Lord, give me provision. You start living in the miraculous, you become more generous. You're living in the provision, you do, you do things differently. 
right? And so that's what it means. When God answers your prayer, it requires work from us to live differently. I wish, I wish I could live in the miraculous every day. But I forget. I forget that I'm God's blue-eyed boy. I forget that I'm highly favored. I forget that Jesus died on the cross for me. So when I walk in those doors, I walk with my shoulders down. I walk trying to dodge people because I don't believe that God really loves me. And I'm not walking in the miraculous in every area of my life. And so let us not fall into that. Let us live in the miraculous as we pursue miracles this year. Lord, we want to thank you for your word this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, that we serve an incredible God that loves us beyond our wildest imagination. We want to thank you, Jesus, that yes, there are pools of Bethesda that offer us all kinds of benefits, but the ultimate benefit this morning is in you. The ultimate healing, restoration is in you. Won't you remind us this morning that you're a miracle-working God. You're in our midst, and we are so grateful for you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, just keep reminding us that you are the miracle, Lord. That you are the miracle. That God, before we pursue miracles, we pursue you, Lord God, the miracle worker. And Lord, this morning, just where you are, just let your heart open to Jesus. I feel like God just wants to release a fresh revelation of the Son of God to you, of His mercy, of His grace. Bethesda means the house of mercy, of compassion. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just show us your heart again, Lord. Show us who you are again, Lord Jesus. That you sought out one man in a multitude. You sought out one man in a multitude. That's us today, Lord God. You're seeking us out, Lord God, in a multitude. You are seeking us out, Lord. And God, we want to respond to you, not to our shame, Lord God. Not to our guilt, Lord God. Not to what we've been taught about ourselves. But we want to respond to you in who you are, Lord Jesus. Full of love. Full of mercy. Full of grace. The God of hope. The God of new beginnings. The God of miracles. And just make a commitment in your heart, wherever you're sitting this morning. Jesus, this year I'm going to respond to you as you are. Not what I think. Not what I was taught, but who you are, Jesus. We receive that this morning, Lord Jesus, who you are in our lives, Lord God. And if you're here this morning and you've never responded to Jesus, or maybe you have responded, but you've forgotten who he is. Maybe you're somebody who's gone back to Bethesda after you received your miracle. You know, when Jesus walks in to that pool of Bethesda. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He doesn't care what anybody else says. That man's sin might have caused his problem. Jesus doesn't care. He walks in and says, do you want to be healed? Because today you pick up your mat and you walk. And so if you need to make right with God, won't you raise your hand? Won't you raise your hand? If you need to come to Jesus, if you need to come back to Jesus this morning, thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. 
thank you for those hands. I'm going to ask the entire congregation to stand up. And as you're doing that, those who've put their hands up, come down the front. Come down to the front. We're going to pray for you this morning. If you came with a friend or a family member, bring them with you. Don't, there's no awkwardness. Can we give them a hand as they're coming up? They, they're picking up their mats and they're walking this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There were a few hands on this side. Don't be scared. Come down. Come down this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, Father, we praise you for your sons and daughters having their miracle moment this morning, Lord God. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Would you just pray this prayer with me? The whole congregation is going to join you just to recommit your heart and your life to Jesus this morning. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that you are the only one who can save me, who can set me free from my sin, who can wash away the shame of my life. This morning I come to you and I say that you are my Lord. You are my Saviour. You are the lover of my soul. I turn my back on my sin. I turn my back on my old way of thinking. I receive your truth. I receive your word. I receive your love. And I ask you to save me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to deliver me. And I ask you to set me free. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's praise the Lord together. You've made an awesome decision this morning. You have a fresh new start this morning.